So this is what it might sound like in my office when I'm waiting for someone to join me on a Zoom call. That's me playing Ain't Talkin' About Love by Van Halen on an unamplified electric guitar. And what I'm really trying to do is figure out a way to do a swing cover of it. You know, quasi-gypsy jazz, but I'm having no luck at figuring it out. The person I'm waiting for is a guy named Edward Newton. He's a great guy, friend of mine, super conceptual, and every time I talk to him, which is clearly not enough, the ideas just bounce around like a pinball machine on speed. For example. Hey, there he is. Yo. What's going on, man? Dude, shoot, just living inside my house. This is, yeah. a, this is, a, child, this is a child's idea of what adulthood is right now. <laughs> yeah right right but you just you get up every day and you just kind of hang out and you do whatever you want <laughs> yeah except they, they don't uh, they don't understand the level of worry that comes with that right right well exactly it's like the whole the whole idea is you know adults seem like they have all the answers so yeah yeah i i, I they did it did but I, I wonder where all those answers went because uh <laughs> Right. There's a really good story. Well, it, it's not that it's, it's, it's like talking to a sixth grader about how hard fifth grade is. It's like they have all the answers to your test. They just don't know what to do about their own stuff. There's a great story to be written about like an immortal who hangs out with an 80 year old and the 80 year old is just like a kid around them. Cause they're like, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> um, and yeah, then you, the immortal meets an older immortal and it goes on and on. I first met him when he premiered Stranger Things, which was a sci-fi series that he basically wrote and produced and podcasted that was shockingly good. Like, if you don't know how hard this is to actually pull all of that off, it's impossible. He's gone on to have a nice career in media, you can IMDB him, but he's a thinker and I've, I've never not talked with him and had not had a really good idea come up. He's been instrumental in helping me make How to Succeed in Evil better, and that's why I'm talking to him today. As, as I start to write evil again, I've got, I don't know, nine mm. things outlined, and I've written three of them, so they're like 30,000-word mm. novellas. Right um, on. You know, Literally you, and figuratively. Um, you, know, um, you know what it's about. You've been involved with it. Mm -hmm. you had discussions mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. You know the premise. You know the character. Mm -hmm what's the thing that I should take advantage of? Like, what would you, out of the premise, what's the thing that you would want? Oh, like, like what do you keep going write? forward? Yeah, because I've got a lot of things in there that I like, but I, well, the thing that I'm really trying to do now, and I can, I can send you, it might ruin something, but I can send you the outline. I, I plotted it like a season of television because they're oh, 30,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. no, 30, word novellas. But what is the thing, like I'm terrified, like a writer's room, really good writer's room. You uh -huh. throw out your thing and then somebody's like, well, why isn't this subplot in here? Or you've got these two characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do this thing with that premise, you know, an examination uh -huh. of supervillains and why, why do villains act in this way and how do you be efficient? Because the, the arc, let me tell you, the arc of the story is it really starts with it's more Topper's story now and how he goes from being a really down on his luck defense attorney to getting involved with these people in this world and gaining confidence right. in himself because he starts off and he has no confidence in himself. Right. So that's sort of the first thing. But what would uh -huh. be the does that make question make sense? It does. Um if you were the showrunner, what would you do? If I was the showrunner of How to Succeed in Evil. Okay, so there's 
I have actually given this some thought because uh, I suspected we might talk about that today. So I, you know, it's been a while since I read the book. So if I'm incorrect on something, please let me know. But I, but I went back through and kind of that's a, that's refreshed actually, everything. That's actually better because. Yeah. Cause I'm only going to remember the parts that are really. And then what do you want out of the premise? Yeah. Okay. So, so first of all, like I, I, I mean, my first thought going back to it was looking back at Topper. I was like, okay, that could go positively or negatively because you essentially have um, a little person sort of in some ways he is kind of playing out a lot of little person stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm the showrunner, the first thing I'm doing is, well, okay, let me actually back up before I get there. Cause there's, I got there for a reason. Um, how to succeed in evil, I would argue fundamentally is a, is a Sherlock structure. Yep. Sherlock Holmes, not, not Sherlock, the TV show, but Sherlock Holmes, right? Yep. Like you have the genius, but you can't know all his plans and the fun of you can't for the story, the purpose of the story, Spot you shouldn't. On. And you, um, and the fun is watching all this stuff unfurl and also watching this person who is so superior intellectually negotiate themselves through a series of challenges that seem impossible. Right. So, so it's, it's fun to watch him be clever. Um, so as a showrunner, the first thing I'm going to do is, I mean, like I love Sherlock, at least the first couple of seasons. The first thing I'm going to do is really put in that elbow grease to make sure that however he solves something is legitimate not a coincidental solve, right? So like a lot, there's a lot of stuff that they did do in Sherlock. Uh, and you, one could even argue sometimes in the original stories where it's like, that's coincidental. You know, like, was it the, um, the, when they did the cell phone thing in the new Sherlock where they're like, well, he's got all these scratches on his phone. Therefore he must be an alcoholic because he's always scratching his phone when he plugs it in. It's like, well, there's a bunch of reasons why one might have scratches. They could have children. They could, they could have a palsy. There, there's so many things that yes. could, could evidence that. You could have a very strange um, cat. Exactly. Like you just don't know. Like, like maybe they drop their phone a lot. Maybe there's all kinds of things. So, so, so my first thought would be like, okay, the cleverness has to be earned, right? That's mm-hmm. how you really hit home because you, this, this, is, this is the kind of book that you, or this kind of story that you want people to be able to sit and think about. Right. And so it needs to hold up under reflection. Yep. So that's the first thing. The first thing is this is a Sherlock structure and the cleverness has to be earned. It has to be real. It can't just be coincidence, um, which I thought in the original story, um, I remember reading at the time, I, I did feel a lot of that. Like there was a lot of stuff, especially uh, the whole thing uh, with Excelsior was just like, I remember the conversation we had about that. And I, I, to be clear, I'm not saying I in any way came up with that. I just remember you saying on the phone, what if he did this? And I went, Oh, Holy cow. That would be amazing. So yes. Yeah. Uh, 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 that I that was incredibly earned and I, I loved it. Um, so that's the first thing I'm doing is I'm going, okay, Sherlock structure. So yeah, Topper's our guy, right? Secondly though, is now I'm looking at Topper and I'm like, okay, I, the way that Topper was in the original story, as I remember it, there was a little bit of looking and laughing at him. Like he's mm-hmm. a clown, right? And I would say, how do you make him real? How do you make him real? Well, so, 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 so you, that's, you, that's, I w- that's the question that, that that's why, well, that's why I changed the art. That's part of it. But that's, that's also what I'd be looking at is like, cause a lot of his antics, right? Like uh, he's, he's a hedonist, right? Like he's, there's a lot of this kind of joie de vivre, crazy living, but it's sort of played in the context of this is a, this is a little person with a bigger, energy right there's a little bit of that and like yep. that's it's fine like i don't think there was anything ill intended there but it i think today that wouldn't play as well so what um 
what, what it was is he's, he's kind of a comedian del art character. Yes. And I didn't know what yeah. to do. We're going to have Topper do something crazy. Yes, exactly right. El Capitano, please, if you would. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, so there's a little, there's a little bit of that, and that, that definitely, yeah, I definitely need. That so, and can, so, so can it be funny and be better plotted, and the characters be more real? That was that's kind of my. I see. I definitely think that could be true. So th- that's um, my bar. Yes, I think that when it comes to Topper, well, the other thing too is that structurally Topper has to change in his role a bit then because, because yeah, he was absolutely the, the comedic relief, but now he's Watson. Now Watson is classically, he can still be a comedic relief character, but I would argue in the Sherlock version, uh, it was more Watson sort of being baffled by Holmes. Watson's the audience, right? So, mm-hmm. so we're never laughing at him like he's an idiot. We're more, laughing out of understanding like 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 there's an there's an empathy there we're not we're not looking at him as the butt of the joke we're looking at him as the normal human reacting to what the hell did he just do right right like it's that's the funny is this ordinary person is put in context with the superhuman of of the mind um i think the other thing with with watson and this is definitely a thought with this and even was in the beginning which is um it was a bit more i don't know over the top, but Watson is, is Holmes's humanity, right? Watson gets married. Yeah, for sure. Sherlock never gets married. So true. You know what I mean? Like he, true. he engages with people in a way that Holmes doesn't. And I always thought that that meant that Holmes was cold, but I went back and I read some of those Sherlock stories or better yet, listened to them with, uh, Oh, what's his name? With Basil um, Rathbone? No, no. Stephen Fry. Oh my God! I have to look those up. That sounds amazing. So I got, I've got them all on Audible. Oh, okay. It's the best Audible book brought to you I've by ever, Audible. I've ever listened to. He he. So he's he's a he's a real fan, you know, of Sherlock. Oh, um, but he crushes that. He he does every accent from every region perfectly. Every voice sounds different. Oh. It's the best acted audiobook I've ever heard. And okay, I'm one getting one of those. That sounds amazing. Like. I was just, I, I don't know. Oh, so like, it's like so my, my, the esteem I had for that guy was high already. Um, yeah. Oh, he'll bring it. Yeah. I listened to him uh, when he would debate with Hitchens. Holy, oh, not like in partnership with Hitchens. Holy cow. Yeah. Powerful. No, and, um, and the, the thing that I really like about him too, and I think this is something that we've been dancing around is, is man, mm-hmm. he never gives up his, his humanity in a debate. You know what I mean? He's always, yeah, that's true. He's always, that's humane. really true. He's always kind. He always puts things so well. He's always very yeah, thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's very good about that. Yeah, he's actually, he's much more uh, compassionate, I would argue, than a lot of people, I would say. Like, you can tell that, like, he's willing to change his mind, but he believes he's right. Um, but he's not looking to, like, victory lap somebody. He's not looking right. to dunk on them. It's yep. like, look, I'm trying to communicate strong. Okay, wait, so let me, I don't want to get off topic because there's yeah, something else I want to say. Yeah. Okay, so, so the other thing though is that, so, so first of all, um, do you, I mean, I, I, some of my references are just terrible movies, but that's just, that's how I learned culture. So there we are. Do you remember um, Gerard Depardieu's uh, uh, performance of Porthos in The Three Musketeers, the one with John Malkovich? Yeah, yeah, I watched that movie a couple of times. If I was show running, that's Topper. Huh, I'm gonna have to go watch and here's, that again. Here's why. I don't I don't mean like every line and thing, but the overall impression of that character is a guy who loves life recklessly. 
right? Means no harm to people, loves life recklessly. Yep. Okay. And that is a way that you could get someone because, you know, since Topper is a little person, you've, you're just going to have more scrutiny on you. And it's not unwarranted like that. There's going to be people going, are you playing this guy as a, as a, like, like, are you playing him as a jester essentially? Right. Like that role is so clear. And I think you have the ability to really still use him as comic relief because that's, there's a, that's a perfectly valid thing so, for anybody to do. So one of the things, one of the things that triggered that too is um, uh, what's his face? Like who are you going to get to play it? And uh, Peter Dinklage. Well, I mean, right. Well, no, but I mean, that, that would be ideal, but that was not, he, he was not. He didn't around. exist. Yeah. Right. But um, so Tyrion is the is the character in Game of Thrones, as far as I'm concerned. Of course, especially in the books. But Tyrion's the character because he's he's uh, Windsor. He's Edwin Windsor. Well, it's not it's not just because he's smart. He also has more humanity than most of the people around him because of That's the situation. True. That's but I true. I said, okay, now how do I take this character? And I, I'm I don't think there's any any real any real difficulties with him as a character in the other books. He was never like it was never throwaway. It was never abusive. There are times where like he's not really well fleshed out. But, Who, um, Topper or Topper. Tyrion? But okay, yeah. I'm like, okay, if you're get, like, I, this this will never happen. Um, uh huh. Probably never. Oh, happen. you're talking but about the, like if you were gonna do it, would you do is, it? Is yeah, yeah. What's the role that I'm gonna give that guy who did who did that performance in Game of Thrones so okay. well? Hang on. How do I hang make on. it worthy of him? Hang on, hang on. I got I got somebody better for you. Hold on, hold on a second. Give me just one second. Uh. I'm going to give you a comedian you need to look up because... Oh, I, uh, I know this guy. Brad Williams. Brad Williams? Look up Brad Williams, okay? Now, Brad Williams... Uh, no, actually, I would just say Brad Williams 100%. The reason is because uh, Peter Dinklage has this, like, inextricable... I don't want to say dignity, but, like, posh about him. Yeah, like there's a, a certain, well, yeah, there's, there's like a formality. There's a, there's a, he's got the, he's got almost like a regal nature about him. Like in, in everything I've ever seen him in, I'm like, you can't tell me that guy isn't like somewhere in his reptilian brain, a Duke. Like not that he's arrogant or that he thinks it's just, no, there's something about him. It's just like, about. yeah, I don't yeah. Know what the right word for that quality is. So, so he's very white collar. He's incredibly white collar. He's very upper crust in everything he does. I haven't seen him get, even when I've seen him. He always has a little sadness. It's like a noble sadness about what he does. Yes. So Brad Williams is boisterous. He's blue collar. He's bawdy. And and he will do some jokes where he's intentionally kind of ripping on little people, but he still has a very, fuck you, I'm totally a valid person, leave me alone kind of thing, right. right? Like, like, if you're looking for somebody to put in your brain as who could I maybe write, who, who would play this guy? That's who I would cast yeah. if I were so, doing it. Um, somebody, somebody sent me him a while ago when this thing, when this thing was languishing and he's like, he's the perfect guy. And I think you're right. But my point about, my point about um, Dinklage is if you're going to ask somebody who's seriously talented, like how do I write this character in a way that if I go, if I go to ask him, I will not be embarrassed by anything I've written. Mm. That, that begins to be a high bar. Well, that's a good bar. That's always a good bar. Just right. especially because I'm actually I'm writing a character right now that um, that um, is is uh, um, non gender conforming. 
right? And uh, I wanted to know more about that whole life. I just didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, heck, I'm going to take my favorite character in this book that I'm writing. The, the goal with it being that, yeah, like I could take this to a person who's gender nonconforming and I could show it to them and they go, oh yeah, no, that's, that's somebody I would play. Mm-hmm. Right. That's somebody I would feel confident doing. Um, there's one more thing I got to say before we, before we go any further, which is I don't think Topper's your main character. Again, oh. if I'm show running, if I'm show running, Topper's not the main character. This is just my gut instinct. I would look at either Agnes or doing somebody other than Agnes. And the reason is this Topper still functions. He has so many uses as a character Mm -hmm. in terms of he introduces complexity. uh, He introduced no complexity. He introduces chaos. He introduces the ability uh, to puncture Edwin's sort of, uh, uh, sort of nature, right? So, and they're great foils, right? So, in all those ways, awesome. You don't want to hang out with the crazy, boozy guy all the time. That's not the lead, right? Oh, so let me. So, I guess, I guess this these next nine sort of episodes, it's like mm-hmm. three books. It's a trilogy, but it's broken into nine inter- mm-hmm, inter- mm-hmm. novellas. Um, is. Uh, it's his it's his arc like he changes and grows up in that arc oh he does why that's yeah oh that's he he comes into his own and will go from being nervous and small and like not able to handle the world and everybody's against him and people push him around and abuse to being that more loving life nobody nobody's going to get get much over on that guy oh that's That's fascinating okay well if you have an arc that makes sense you got to do what you got to do but the but the other thing that that also has changed is the the stories like each one of these things like an episode of television can be more about the characters who come into contact with edwin whereas before they were just foils what's this person going through for good or ill what you know right what it's sort of their arc um like if you think the other thing and it's funny that you said sherlock when i initially thought about this um, I thought it's also kind of like an episode of House, which is essentially Sherlock, right? House is exactly Sherlock, 100% um, Sherlock. Um, you know, it's, you've got this, you've got the story about the team and what's going on with them, but it's every story is essentially what, what happens to this, you know, person who's in this der- terrible situation and how do you have the twists in their story? You, you talk about like the people, the patients who come into the mm-hmm. hospital? Totally. Yes, so 100%. So the, a lot of the interest is generated by the novelty of the new case. Was, and that didn't mm-hmm. happen in the Sherlock Holmes stories because you didn't really get involved. Well, I guess you did. I guess, it did I guess, to a it bit. Depends on the story. To a bit. Um, but, but the continuity, and this wasn't in any of the original Sherlock Holmes stories, the continuity is about the relationships that House and his team have. Right. That's, and that's the Watson-Sherlock continuity, right? Yeah. Now, one thing I would throw out, and I, if, I, if I'm keeping you, I don't, I don't want no, to do okay. that. Um, the one thing I would throw out is, is again, I'm just imagining that I'm sure running this right now. Um, I would say that the experience of enjoying the Sherlock archetype, I would argue, is always inherently a voyeuristic experience. We are never Sherlock. Mm-hmm. And in fact, hard to make him a main character. <laughs> well, well, but the thing is that and that actually makes us hungry to be Sherlock in some ways, right? Like we want access to that inner life. So when you see something like house and like you have those little moments where you go, wait a minute, does he have an addiction to pills? Like you get these little tiny things and it makes you want more because you admire this person and you want 
to be in their shoes like? in some ways. Or the first time what where he goes really home like? and he, yeah. as a character and he plays the piano. And they never yeah. really explain why he plays you, the piano. Exactly. You get these little nuggets. You're like, wait, I got yeah. in. I got to be oh. in his skin like a little bit. But even when you're there, because you haven't had the arc, you're never in his shoes. You're always watching. That's, excuse me structurally you're trying to make the audience feel like they're in their shoes his shoes right you, he's in the house by himself you're witnessing a moment but because of our relationship to him yeah, the dynamic is it. always voyeuristic you yeah. never know why he plays the piano what you know those kind of things right so i would argue that's edwin edwin yeah. to to enjoy edwin is an inherently voyeuristic experience and to just keep that in mind that if we want to have this moment or that moment the real question isn't how do we get Edwin there? The real question is whose frame do I need to be looking at this through? Yes. And to remember that anytime we abandon the frame that we make him quote unquote naked with no one else there, that's gold. And we can't spend that lightly. Like those moments are precious. So if, if you remember there's there's a few scenes, there's one or two, one uh, he's, he's getting, he's putting on a suit. The, all, the mm-hmm. only scenes that are like that he's putting on a suit He's shaving mm-hmm. and he's thinking about something that has to happen. He's like, mm-hmm. there's only these very small, very tiny little mm-hmm, actions. Mm-hmm. See, I would just- take that. I would even take all those and externalize them. Take all of it. And like, we should, I, I would almost say, again, but this is also speaking more to my style now. Again, this is me speaking as showrunner, well, not yeah, as. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. That's, that's what I want. My style would be do not ever put us in his brain ever that's that's like like because that's what we're going to want the whole time yeah, and yeah, never yeah. give it to us never good, ever give it to a, us that's a good rule and you can also and what's great about that is it's kind of the same challenge that act breaks the commercial breaks give to creative people mm-hmm. which is it's a rule that seems limiting and it will be the cause of incredible creativity yeah um and so like if you can't ever let us hear directly what edwin's thinking now you're always looking for that frame of how he's going to explain this to someone or what nonverbal object or action yeah, can he do? And the smaller it is, the smaller it is, the more like, like, you know, this is a, any of those scenes where he's by himself, like playing the piano, or whatever you got to think of it as you're painting on an enormous white canvas and you're going to put one dot. Yeah. Yeah. That dot really is going to be so critical. Mm-hmm. And, and then, it's going to be, yeah. So anyway. Uh, I think it was uh, Raymond Chandler who wrote, uh, was talking about writing mystery novels. And he said. Oh yeah. The, the, what's the classic mystery the, hero? The thing? guy who gets shot. It's not just him getting shot. What, what people want is as he gets shot, he's grabbing for a pencil as he falls off. The, as he falls off the desk and dies. Do you remember? You, Tell me about that? that. What do you mean by that? Tell me more. Well, he was talking about how to write great detective fiction. He said, we uh-huh. want the detective story, but we also mm-hmm. want these little things that make it really human or that we don't fully understand. Like why is the guy stuck grabbing for the pencil? And all of a sudden that makes it more real. So I have a theory about storytelling called uh, juxtapositional storytelling. Okay. It's ba- it's based off of it's based off of uh the ideas created by Sergei Eisenstein when he uh, he was the one of the first people to pioneer montage editing. Yeah, montage. Okay. Yeah. So what Eisenstein realized uh, he was inspired by Japanese kanji and what he found out is that the the in Japanese the writing for bark is actually just dog and mouth. And when he realized that that was a huge revelation to him because he's like oh they're creating a totally separate third idea out mm-hmm. of these two unrelated ideas. 
but by juxtaposing them together, it creates a meaning in the audience, right? And so I think of it almost like synaptic storytelling. What I'm trying to do is I'm going to give you the A and I'm going to give you the C and you're going to make B by yourself. Yep. Yeah, Um, that's very true. It's so, a, so a powerful thing is not, not even true. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Oh, thank you. Um, and, uh, the, so when I'm thinking about moments like that, that I want to have like a really tiny moment, what I'm really thinking about is, okay, half of this experience is everything the audience is bringing to it. Yeah. How do how do I, how do I leave enough gap so that the spark goes across? That they're going to like, what I want to do is create something that is not telling, but is evocative. Yeah, I, wrote I want to create something that creates a world, not tells them about a world. Yeah, and yeah, you don't. Yeah, you want them to get it. I, I did. I did a story like that for the Shanaki, which is I wanted to convey a time, the year the thing was, but I never mm-hmm. wanted to say what year it was. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, man, and I did that in a story, and that's a good. That was a good challenge. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think I try to think of those things all the time. Just so like to, how 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 little can I tell you? Yeah, and I, I think that what you said about Edwin is that's what I'm saying. He's not the main character. We can never get inside his head. We can never yeah. be inside his head. Is, is yeah, really we should character. never, like, as he's shaving, we should never know what he's thinking. So, I'm going to throw out what I think the, the conventions of the genre are because we're, we're, that's okay. what we're talking about. Like, what's the expectation of, of mm-hmm, each mm-hmm. one of these stories? And I think mm-hmm. one of them is uh, Edwin has a – so it, there's, a, there's a criminal with a unique power. Mm-hmm. Edwin, Edwin or someone comes up with a scheme right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that scheme either doesn't work or it works in a way that they don't like. And then mm-hmm. somehow out of nowhere, Edwin comes up with a genius solve for it that winds up making money. Like You're saying that's the convention? The, yeah, the scheme works. Like what, so what scenes are you going to get? You're going to get pitching a scheme. You're going to get some super powered action. You're going to get things going right. in a horrible way. I want to get topper relating to Topper or Agnes could be Agnes relating to the person um, in a you know in on a more human level, and then I almost feel like maybe Agnes should have the assistant then because because Agnes is in her own way kind of a mini Edwin, like she's also impermeable and and her methods for her mean her her motives for things are also not always clear. It's clear she's loyal to Edwin, yeah, but well, she's almost I, Alfred in a way, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we, Alfred is not Watson in any stretch. Like we don't, we only, they, they use Alfred in kind of a Watson frame very occasionally, usually only when they're trying to sort of frame Batman in the, how dark has he gone? Right. Like you use what you use uh, Alfred when we need to know that even the guy who's in on this with him thinks this is bad. Yeah. The other thing that, that, um, Agnes did in the book is mm-hmm. Agnes was, uh, uh, Edwin's conscience. And I don't think she can focus that way here. She, she was the thing that was yeah. keeping him, was staving him from off from decline. And when she got killed in sort of that other arc. See, now that, 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 that oh man, see, well, see, okay. So just, just again, just pitching. Uh, if I'm, if I was starting this from square one, it would be Agnes gets an assistant because Agnes is getting older. She's having a little trouble. And everyone's like, I'm just going to fix this. You're going to have an assistant. They're going to do whatever you want anytime. And maybe the only one-to-one conversation this assistant ever has with Edwin is when he goes, I don't ever want to hear her complain about you ever. Like I want, I want to only hear that things have gone well or whatever, whatever. The point is they have like this one, like, holy cow, who's this guy moment where what is revealed is his caring for her. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I got a, I got a couple ideas about that, but those I don't want to reveal yet because those are twists. Oh, of course, no, you shouldn't. You but, shouldn't. You um, definitely shouldn't. But listen, I have, I have, as always, I have really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, this has been fascinating. You see yeah. where I wanted to do this, right? Like, you're yeah, like, I, I wasn't sure what you wanted to talk about. I was like, I was like. We could talk about anything, but yeah. And then once I realized it was about story, I was like, oh yeah, let's do it all day. It'd be great. We literally can't talk about anything. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. So if you've made it through this entire discussion, I want to hear from you. Pretend you're the showrunner or publisher for How to Succeed in Evil. What do I absolutely have to have in it? What should I never, ever do? I can't promise that I will act on your input, but I promise I will take it seriously. <laughs> 